recording. Yeah, we are recording. So hello, Scott. Thanks for joining us today. You are my second guest. I had a practice run last night with a friend. That was really fun. So you live in upstate New York? I do. Binghamton, New York, to be more precise. Yeah. And you're from there, right? You're from upstate. I'm from uh, Green, one county over. Okay. So I wanted to talk to you today because you have a lot of different cool hobbies and passions. You do all these stories, voiceovers, comics. So I just wanted to talk to you and see how you kind of got into this stuff and at what age were you always kind of storytelling. You have a lot of different mediums. So I kind of wanted to go into that. Basically, my first question is, were you always a storyteller? Lifelong, lifelong. The furthest memory back I have was we were in the backseat of the car with my dad driving home. He was running late. I had been plotting and scheming with my siblings to come up with some story ideas based on the computer games that we were playing at the time, an old 8088 back (laughs) way back when. But my dad was insisting that we talk to him to keep him awake because he was super tired. And so I said, all right, I'm actually coming up with some video game ideas. I'm going to be a computer game maker. From then on, I've just been telling stories just on and on and on. The medium's changed. But since I was five, I've been doing that. Wow, since you were five. And what kind of mediums have you played around with? It started with the want to make computer games. Of course, uh, before you can actually make a video game, you have to come up with proof of concept. You have to come up with the idea and what mediums does a five-year-old have but pen and paper. Started with that and saying, this is what a screenshot of the video game will be. And I just drew that every day, just come up with a new drawing, a new idea, that sort of thing. Wow. Do you have any of those drawings from when you were little? The first ones I did, I wish I did, but I gave them to some one and they misplaced them. I don't know what happened. But the good news is, as I got older, still drawing, still doing that, I have a lot of those older drawings. They're wow. uh, they're tucked away. And I do look at them occasionally. It's like, wow, I've come a long way. So what was your first, I guess, major project as you got older? So you were always drawing. Where was this that it kind of became real for you that you were actually going to do this and your first like major project or collaboration? When I was about 16, I had one of my stories. And as you ask, what mediums have I gone with? I started with the drawing. The idea was that I'd be a video game programmer. But then I learned what actually goes into programming. Too much math, too much code. I said, I'm out. Then I was thinking, well, I could just be a director. But then I realized I live nowhere near Silicon Valley. So that's not going to happen. And I thought, why am I waiting to make my own video games when I can write this? I know how to write. I know how to put pen to paper. I know how to use Microsoft Word. So why don't I just start writing? I picked one of the stories that I knew that I could lock down on and started tapping away at that. Began writing that when I was 16. And I said, I can do this. I can be a professional writer someday. In fact, in my uh, senior yearbook, they had one of the questions, what are you now? What do you want to be? I would have thought about it better growing up, being older. But I had said, I'm a freelance writer. And I want to be a writer. There was a tangible difference between the two. That's okay. I mean, it still worked out. I was just plugging away at the writing. But I had always said, I want to get into voice acting. When did you know you wanted to do that? You know, that one's not 
as clear to me. I think it was just a gradual thing. I just don't remember when I didn't not want to be a voice actor. I mean, I, I know when I was a kid, it never occurred to me. You don't come to think of it, I've wanted to be an actor for a long time. Oh, you did? Yeah, that's one that just kind of back of the head, like back burner stuff, so easy to forget about. I always liked that idea, and voice acting seemed like a good way to start. So what was your first voice acting gig? Fiverr is a website that I use. No, go further back. Gosh, now it's all blending together, but I'm pretty sure when I moved back to Binghamton, just a couple blocks away, there's a radio station, just a small little thing for like a soul hip-hop music, that sort of thing. I offered my services as a writer and as a voice actor, and he let me record a lot of the liners in between songs. Oh, that's so cool. I feel like off the top of my head, that was my first opportunity to that. And that's a pretty big opportunity. Yeah, I mean, uh, it doesn't have much of a reach, but it was still an ability to practice a craft, and you can't argue with that. Still doing voice acting to this day. To this day. And is that mostly for your own projects, or do you do it for other people's projects as well? Mostly for other people's projects. I like the idea of being able to, to do it purely for fun. That's always cool, but I find myself comfortable behind the camera as opposed to in front of it, letting other people shine. I tend to do pretty well with that. And so you're actually getting paid to do the voice acting then? Yes. A lot of the catalyst moments come from a YouTube uh, channel. I believe it's called 10 Second Song. He does a song in 20 different styles. He did a uh, behind the scenes, like how does he do things? And he illustrated the microphone that he had, an Audio-Technica AT2020. His audio sounds really good for uh, the microphone he's using. So when I went back to school, I had the opportunity to get my own audio equipment and I decided on the AT2020, got it for 50 bucks. I was like, wow, that's a steal of a deal. Unfortunately, I underestimated the the whole hidden fees part of it. Oh, okay. It's like, okay, you got a microphone, but now you need the equipment to set up said microphone. Right. So I went to Guitar Center and I I held up the microphone and said, I need this to be able to run on my computer. So the guy set me up, microphone stand, pop screen with an XLR cable and the audio interface, which my computer is now plugged into. I probably sank it about $200. Okay, not as cheap as I thought. Thankfully, financial aid overflow made it easy to do that. Made my way to Fiverr. The guy at 10 Second Songs says that he started on Fiverr, just uh, literally 10 second songs. If you want me to do something, I can record a little song for you in a particular style in within 10 seconds. And Fiverr's a really great place to start. Yeah, Fiverr's really cool. I tell people that if you're going to be doing audio or anything, Fiverr's a great place to start. It builds up your portfolio and you make a little bit of money. It's not a bad bet. Gradually, I learned through the so-called Epic Voice guy. He does the Honest Trailers, or at least he does the audio for the Oh, okay. He tipped me off to Voice Bunny, which is a website I use now. Oh, okay. What's really great about that website is once you set up your profile, you set up the kind of voice work that you do, like mature male or young male or whatever. And then Voice Bunny gets projects from clients and they say, okay, you want this particular project done by 
an older male, we'll send this project out to our website, to our pros, and they'll send in auditions. And whichever one you want, that's what you'll get. So what's cool about that is that normally you go out of your way to find auditions. Well, with this, you don't find them. They come to you. So that's it's, awesome. It's really great. So it saves you the time to have to look for them. And what's even better is that if they internally accept your audition, you get paid just to audition, which is a really sweet deal. That is. Granted, it's only like 2 to $11 based on the rates that you set for yourself and how much the project is worth. But just the fact that if your computer, if your audio equipment is already set up, then you just sit down, accept the project, do the audition, record it. It's just a couple sentences usually. And then you mix it down, send it to them. You just got paid for doing less than 10 minutes work. Wow, that's so cool. The only downside, I tell people this, there are two downsides. Uh, uh -huh. One, well, uh, half of a downside is they're picky. So if you've got oh. like a, or a tapping from the neighbors upstairs, they hear it on the audition, it's uh, rejected. Okay. Eventually you get the, the hang of that. But two downsides, two downsides. One of them is that it's first come, first serve. They can't have hundreds of people auditioning at once. There'd be That's too many to go through. They usually go out for three to six people auditioning. So the unfortunate thing is it doesn't always go to the most talented. It goes to the fastest. Right, uh, right. And the other downside is it takes them a month to pay you. Oh, that, okay. That's an annoying thing. Is if you're doing it to get money like right then and there now sort of thing, not the way to go. I get auditions uh, almost every day. Wow, uh, really? Yeah. Once that month ticks over, then the money starts trickling in. I usually make about $100 a month. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I could do more. I could do the other way, which is by bookings because clients can listen to your profile and say, I really like this. I want this person specifically to do project. And that's where the real money is. Okay. Then they look at your rates and they say, this is what I, I like their voice and I like their rate. We want to hire this person. Again, whatever your rates are, but it could be like $20, could be a couple hundred dollars, depending on what it is. So that's a great resource. That's great. Yeah. There's other websites. Some of them you have to pay to be able to audition. The artist mantra is that artists should be writing the back of the checks, not the front. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's just a lot of scams out there and it's hard to tell what's legit. So besides voiceovers you also do and drawing so you also do a comic and stop motion as well yep we've dabbled with uh, stop motion a little bit since another colleague joined us who's really big in stop motion it's like yeah it's kind of fun it's very time consuming though and there's I a imagine lot of it looks it mm -hmm. as you have to write it out you almost have to storyboard it maybe we'll try it again at some point and see how serious we are with it but that's not really my primary angle but you did mention my uh, comic strip. That's an interesting history. Back in fifth grade, there my friends were and I sitting there with a box of the scented markers, you know, like uh, blue is blueberry, purple yeah. is gray. We thought that would be uh, really fun to bring those little anthropomorphic fruit characters to life. We cut them out of the box and just had them move around a little bit, just uh -huh. the imagination run free. And then finally, it was just, we could make a video game out of this because, you know, we were still in the video game kick and we decided to call it citrus anthropomorphic characters running side one side uh, of street, another shooting other fruity or veggie bad guys that sort of thing uh it was fun but it became another project that just kind of became one of many and, and i get still 
posting them though. You posted one in like July or something. Years later, I was I was looking for another avenue of artistic expression, and I thought I was a big fan of web comics for a long time, for many years, and I thought I could get in on that too. One thought leading to another, I thought, why don't I make these citrus characters and turn them into a comic strip? I got everything together and started piecing it together, and eventually I got Citrus Comics. It wasn't too bad. I mean, the archives are on uh, DeviantArt. That's an easy link away. As I was playing the video game World of Warcraft for a little while, there was a a guy that was a part of my guild that said, I could help you put your website together. So we had citruscomics.com. That ran for a while. Ran out of money, though, and time. Uh, My firstborn was taking up a lot of my time. Ran out of money to to comfortably pay for the website's hosting. Mm -hmm. And also family was taking up a lot of my time. So I was like, I'm just going to have to retire this comic. Oh, okay. That was out for a while. But then as I got employed at a radio station that I work at, Equinox Broadcasting, they bought a local newspaper, Carousel. Oh, okay. Yeah. The editor-in-chief, Chris Bernardchuk, had saying that he was interested in new content. Like if any one of us wanted to write for it or contribute anything, just let him know. Well, I had a comic strip for a while. Would you be interested? Could you put it back in? Yeah. Sure. So I sent it to him. He liked the samples and he gave me the format and I started contributing that way until Chris Bernarchuk left the company, left the radio station and took a job at Binghamton University. It's like, they put the paper in question, but then someone else bought it and said, if you still want to contribute, you can do it. Yay. Oh, great. So for about a little less than a year and a half, I was contributing a monthly comic strip to the newspaper. Hence why it was no longer in colors and black and white. Okay. That's okay. It worked out all right. But now the newspaper's future is in question again. They ran out of money again. Oh. So it's like, all right, I guess I'm done doing that. But you know what? It's okay. I can take a break from it for now, and then I'll just get back to it and just continue to distribute digitally like I was doing before. Yeah, because you have it posted on your Instagram and Facebook and everything, so... Yep, the typical social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, well, not as typical social media, but DeviantArt. Probably not the wisest place to share it there because DeviantArt is a bit of a wild west. You can get some really cute, sweet stuff, amazing nature photography, but you also get hentai, you get some kinky stuff, you get some Mm -hmm. really weird stuff, but... Tumblr, I know, is very big for comics and like band kind of fiction, stuff like that. Um, Do you post anything on Tumblr? I've heard about it. And I know that Tumblr is kind of the brunt of a lot of internet jokes. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. That's something to consider. I would think about that. Yeah, there's a lot of webcomics on Tumblr. On the other hand, then I might wind up saying not really standing out. But still, it's not a bad angle. I'll consider that. Definitely not. Definitely not. What do you do now and where do you want to go? So what are your plans or your goals for your future with storytelling? Well, my day jobs are being a production assistant over at the radio radio station, but also board operator. So when a DJ is out on the road, they call in, they bring it, they do their voice breaks. I mix it down and then put it into the schedule so that it plays on the air. It's a fun job. You know, you just kick back and just watch YouTube videos until you get <laughs> voice break. All right, I'm up, do my stuff, put it back in. All right, that's all set. And then kick back again and uh, <laughs> back onto YouTube. Doesn't pay a whole lot, but radio is one of those things you don't do it for the money. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
you know, you do it because you love the craft, you love uh, the media. Whenever they need some audio made up, like if they need some new liners made, I do those too. And then at the TV station, WBNG that I work at, I'm also a production assistant. I was hired as the cameraman, but they did warn me that my job was going to be outsourced to robot. That oh. fun- yeah, that's that kind of sucks. They allowed me to stick around. They allowed me to hang out and continue to work, which was great. So now I go in and I, I'm the audio guy. So I sit down at the audio board in the evenings and just, yeah, I, I do the audio. If you hear that somebody's microphone, like somebody is super quiet or it cuts out, it might be because of me on Monday. <laughs> On Monday and Tuesday, I only work two days a week, which kind of sucks. But with both the radio station and the TV station, it's more about being a part of the team, being a part of making everything happen. As much as I would love to be a part of things so that I'm there more often, thus I get paid more, I'm just happy to be part of the team. I come from almost 15 years of retail. Oh, okay. I worked about a year and a half at Giant Markets, now known as Wise, and then I went over to Lowe's. I gave almost 13 years of my life to them, about seven years longer than I should have. Bit of advice, if you're working at somewhere that you don't want, that it's not part of your craft and you're not really passionate there, don't give them any more than five years of your life. After that, move on. How did you decide to move on? What, what was the trigger for that? They kicked me out. Oh, they did? Yeah, I'm no victim there. That, But what they cited me, my attendance and leaving cash in the drawers overnight, not once but twice, that was true. But I would have thought that they'd be a little more fair about it. Everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Yeah, I think I was just getting too expensive for them. So they were looking for any excuse to give me the boot. So it almost kind of worked out for you, though, that that happened because you were kind of comfortable, complacent, and you got kicked out and then had to move on. Absolutely. Well, I'm bitter about the circumstances. I just wish they'd had been a little kinder about it. I don't regret it happening because, yeah, maybe I would still be there. You said it right, complacency. So when they gave me the boot, I was ready to look for another so-called shit job before a family friend said, why don't you go back to school? Not a bad idea. And so talked to my wife about it and uh, we made it happen. I got set up at SUNY Broom for communications. Two years later, got my degree in said communications, got a job at the radio station even before I graduated, which really threw me off, but that's serendipity for you. And I've been going on from there, just being the best storyteller I can be at both the radio station and at the TV station. That's great. So do you have any personal big projects coming up that you're, or anything you're working on? Or are you just focusing on your career at the radio and TV station? Especially the TV station is just to buy me time while my wife is in school for health and human services. Once she graduates from that, she's going to work on getting her day job. It's almost guaranteed that whatever she gets into, it's going to be making more than what I make at the radio or TV station especially the TV station, is to buy me time until she gets to that point, then I can resign from the TV station, be the homebody, be the Mr. Mom, the the homemaker, Mm -hmm. which is weird for both of us because I've been the breadwinner ever since we've been married. But we're willing to make that change. She's stuck in the house all the time. She wants to get out. God bless her. I just as soon stay home. That's just how I like to roll. 
when that happens, theoretically, I can focus on my side projects that I'm really interested in, like writing. You know about the book that I'm working on. Yes. Can you tell me about that? Tell me some details about where you're at with that. I haven't really been able to focus too much on that. Not only am I a husband, not only am I a breadwinner, not only am I a father, I'm also a study buddy. Biology has been kicking my wife's ass. It's supposed to be just an introduction course, but it's talking about a lot of advanced things and isn't really giving you much direction. It's like she goes to the University of Maine at Augustus as an online student. And I don't know what Maine's requirements are for biology, but man alive, it's crazy. So once we get through that, then I can finally get back to writing. To answer your question, working title for the story is Fall of the Frostbound Empire. For those who don't know, it's a story of a Tolkien-esque knight, a Dungeons and Dragons kind of knight, finding himself as stranger in a strange land. He gets banished to what seems like another world where it's stuck in perpetual winter, just that never changes. It never gets above like 20 degrees, maybe even colder. The genders are segregated. Women are the dominant gender. Men are the inferior race, if you will, just left to menial tasks where women run everything else. They're merchants, they're entertainers, they're fighters, they're soldiers, they're governors with an empress on top. And he's witness to this society but his presence is also a catalyst for the fall of this establishment, this empire. We see how he reacts to that. If we get any more beyond that, I don't know. I have ideas, but I just want to get this story in, call it good at the end of it. And if I get to tell more of it, cool. Haven't been able to work on it much beyond, well, no, I've gotten about seven pages beyond what you've seen. And I've picked at earlier on, like the genesis of this story was that the dude finds himself in a fascist matriarchal society. It was just like, wow, women. I was like, why would that be the main focus? When you look back on it, it's like, that doesn't make as much sense. Well, I'm sure you know all about first draft, second draft. And oh, yeah. The, while this isn't the story that I started writing when I was 16, it's the one that interests me the most as of right now. Okay. And do you want to self-publish this or do you want to send it to publishers? I probably would want to send it to publishers. I know that's not as easy as it used to be. And a lot of people, I do know that Amazon allows people to self-publish, but I don't know. The, like other mediums, that's very Wild West-esque, mm-hmm. where there's a lot going on and everybody drowns each other out. So I'd rather have this be something that catches the eye of a major publisher, believes in it, and pushes it. I think I could make it work. Oh, great. That's just, exciting. Yeah, I just need more time for that. Uh, I can also get back to my comic strip. I like the idea of finding a new publisher, but I don't know about that. What's fun about being self-published with your comic strip is you can make it in whatever format you want. To have it in carousel, it was great, but I had to conform to a particular mode. I prefer four panels. It gives you a little more time to tell your joke. It feels like a good balance of not being too long, but still enough time to do the buildup and then the payoff at the end. Three panels is cool, but I prefer four. Okay. A big takeaway 
from being a cartoonist is it teaches you brevity. When you're a writer, when you're an author writing a book, you eventually learn that you have that freedom. When I started writing, my inspiration was Battlefield Earth by L. Ron Hubbard. Good book or bad, I don't know. I haven't read it as an adult. I'd have to look at it again to see if it really is. But regardless, it taught me what a book should look like, what the written word would be like. So I said, okay, I'm going to emulate this. But then I read Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. It was almost the antithesis of Battlefield Earth. It's like, this is a totally unorthodox way of writing things. And it showed me I can write any way I want. Right. So I started writing that one story back when I was 16. I changed the format. I almost threw that book out, honestly. Really? I started writing it when I was 16. And... Then when I got, got to around 20, 22, I'd been writing almost every day. I got maybe two, maybe 300 pages in. I looked at it again and I just said, did I really write this shit? <laughs> wow. The genesis of the story was when I was maybe seven or maybe nine. Then I started writing it when I was 16. It was originally supposed to be a video game. So when I looked at it, noting that it was written by a 16-year-old, it showed. <laughs> I had a similar experience. I wrote a script when I was around, I think, 18. And now that I look back at it, it's horrific. It's just horrific. <laughs> the good news is I was able to salvage it because I already had the characters established. I liked the characters. I liked what I could potentially do with this, but how do I save it? Mm -hmm. so it had to have a better point. It had to have a, a better ending. The idea was that it was a typical 1950s alien invasion apocalypse sort of thing. The people save the day. They do kind of an infinity stone sort of thing. Not exactly, but similar, where they reset the planet as if it never happened and everybody is in a better shape and everyone is happy the end. But like, that's not really how life works, is it? bad shit happens and you just move on That's a, and that's all you can do. <laughs> See, it's funny because when I was 16, I said, this is going to be a really dark and gritty story, not realizing what it means to be dark and gritty. There's, you can illustrate blood, you can have the aftermath of bad things happening, but is it really interesting? If a story hasn't earned that dark, that gritty, then it just feels forced and empty. And that, that was part of the problem. Okay. You're just trying to put in details as if that's all you need to do. I had always heard of third-person past-tense narrative, and that just seemed like the gold standard. But then I was talking to people saying, all I know is first-person present tense. It's like, mm -hmm. that's odd, but that sounds interesting. So I switched to that. And it really did breathe new life into that story. Wow. The good news is that it's getting better as time goes by. Bad news is that I haven't touched it much at all. But again, it's that sort of thing that maybe as I get older, it's looking better, it's sounding better. And I totally appreciate that. Oh, well, that's really great. I know it's kind of hard, but also gratifying to look at where you've come from and how far and yeah. how much better you've gotten. The Frostbound Empire, I, I'm going to prioritize. But okay. this one, the working title being Avatars of the Zeith, that one, 
I'll get to someday. I always thought that my magnum opus as a sort of manifesto for everything I've come to learn about the physical world, the spiritual world, and so on and so forth. Speculative fiction, I think of it. The Frostbound Empire just seems much more interesting to me. When I can get back to writing again, then I'm going to do that. I was writing it in between shifts at the TV station, but I'm only there two nights a week. I could only really write close to midnight. I know you write whenever you can, but man, I just get too tired and I'm just not really interested in being forced to write those times. Right. And then it might not come out as great as you want it to. The quality might not be there if you're tired and feel like you just have to, to for the sake of it. Amen. I want to be able to write when it happens. Because when you're a storyteller, these things come to you and you say, I need to jot this down immediately. Thankfully, my phone has a recorder so I can just jot down whatever notes uh, come to me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So anytime you have an idea, you write it down right away. Yeah, that's the best compromise for now. And I meet usually every Sunday, obviously not every Sunday because I'm right here chatting with you, not with <laughs> But usually every Sunday, I meet with my crew. Most of them I met at SUNY Broom, and we meet and we either talk shop or we make short films. In fact, oh, that's really great. That's really great. I always find being a part of a group is more helpful. It inspires me more, and I feel like collaborating with other people gets things done more than on my own. And the big project I'm working on, The Darkest Friendship, it's kind of a uh, noir revenge story. It actually started from my final video film project. No, no, it wasn't final. It was my first one. It was the first movie that I made not only for school, but at all. Oh, okay. We had two categories to choose from, Lost and Found or Crossing a Street. I chose Lost and Found, and I said, what better way to do that than to have somebody that lost a person, and they're going to find them. They find them, they're being held captive by someone else. They go, they have a fight with the person, and they go into the building where the person is kept. They find them, the end. It was really fun to make, and it it was my first project, and it showed. It's not not very good, but I got an A. Oh, great. Not to toot my own horn, but I think it was the best project there. Oh, wow. Do you have your short films posted anywhere? Do you upload them anywhere? Yep, my YouTube channel. Okay, great. At at the end, I want you to message me your Twitter, your Instagram, your YouTube channel, even your Fiverr, and I'll upload that all. Okay, sounds cool. Yeah, we can do that. There's some projects that I can't, uh, well, not that I can't, but I don't. Like I've had a falling out with people in the past. I imagine they don't want me to use their likeness anymore. That's a bummer, but there's always other ways that I can uh, share those stories. One that I had that was a really fun horror movie. That that was a really (laughs) fun one to make, but I took that down from YouTube because I didn't think the person would be interested in me using their likeness, but I'm not making money off of it. That's something. Right. Right. But that was that was the first project that I did that was a collaboration with people outside of my crew that I usually work with. I had somebody do uh, visual effects and I had somebody do the music for it. And that was really great. Oh, wow. Yeah, we meet every Sunday and uh, we're working on that uh, noir revenge. But it's kind of tricky because it came from that student project and it's evolved over the years with the change of the villain. Every time the villain changes, we have to recast the villain 
that person representing the villain brings a whole new character. So that means I have to change the script to reflect the person that's playing them. Right. The first person that played him was more thuggish. So I had the script to reflect that. He wasn't really comfortable with reading off of a script. And it's like, you know what? You know what we're trying to say. So I'll have you ad lib it. And he did really good. It, It fit the character perfectly. But then when I had to recast it, that didn't work anymore. So I was like, well, how about you'll play that role? That person that said that they would be interested, but I never heard back from them. It's like, all right, let's try again. Then a woman filled in for the role. It's like, okay, now I got to change the gender. So then that person developed a lackey. So then I had to change based on that. Then that person bowed out, the same person that was involved in that horror film. I had to drop that. Then I finally got a new character, a new person playing it. Finally, I could lock down and do it. And I finally did it. I did that person's scene. All done, all good. But now I need to rewrite other things to reflect that scene. It's like, right. Uh, writing sucks. Yeah. I mean, I love writing, but I hate writing because there's a lot, like you said, a lot of work, a lot of work. Yeah. But I mean, it's worth it. Yeah, I have the same kind of thing. I I love to write, but when I sit down to write, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it, I guess. My real passion is in voice work. I love filmmaking and I love writing. Whenever I see behind-the-scenes stuff on TV, uh, somebody recording their lines for a Disney film or a Pixar film or DreamWorks, whatever, and they're in front of the microphone and they're talking, it's just like, Oh my gosh, I get so giddy about that. I don't know why, but... Oh, that's really great, though, to know what you're really passionate about. Because you have so many hobbies. You have so many mediums of telling stories. So it's nice to know your one true passion, your one true love. And if we're being honest, the first thing I saw was not you, but your microphone and pop screen. Oh, (laughs) I don't know. It's just weird. But we all have our weirdness. Just roll with it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's it for my questions. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Follow your dreams. That's what I did. I don't know. But <laughs> but what I can say is that you're never too old to pursue what you want to do. I'm a late bloomer. I've always been late to the party, learning to tie my shoes, learning to ride a bike. The only thing that I took too quickly was reading. Back with computer games, it was all about reading what was on the screen. I wanted to play the video game, but you can't play if you don't know what's on the screen. Yeah. So I learned learned, uh, at four years old how to read at least a second grade level. Wow. It was crazy, but that's the one thing that I took to quickly. And that's what helped me become a better storyteller. It's just you can't really tell a story if you don't know how to read a story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But aside from that, I've been slow on just about everything Uh, other than getting married. I mean, I got married when I was 19. I don't know if that's uh, a good thing, but it is what it is. (laughs) Well, it seems Uh, to be working out for you. Yeah, pretty much. Ups and downs, but what marriage doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Even though you're late to the party, I graduated from college in 2016. Yeah, I was about 34 when I graduated. The trick is just, even though you're late to the party, it doesn't mean you can't be the life of it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's so true. I mean, you don't want to steal other people's thunder, but you can still shine even though it took you a while to get polished and shine bright. 
Mm-hmm. And some, some people got there before you, but that doesn't mean that they're more talented than you. Just yeah, because- absolutely. Everyone's on their own timeline. I mean, I saw on the news the other day that 97-year-old, I think his age was, he just got his high school diploma. Oh, you're, wow. You're never too late to start pursuing the things that you're passionate about. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think that's important because I think a lot of people think that, you know, oh, I'm 35, oh, I'm 40, whatever. It's too late. I should have done this when I was 18 or 22. And I don't think that's true because I think everybody's life takes them in a different direction and everybody has a lot going on. And sometimes those things get in the way or take priority. Yeah, it can happen. But, and it's easy to fall into complacency. That's, so that's why that was the, that's why I was stuck at uh, Lowe's for so many years is because that safety net, I wasn't happy about it anymore. I mean, I used to like it, but then just you get burned out by it after a little while dealing with customers, dealing with bureaucracy, dealing with coworkers, just tired of it. And I think the universe heard me and it's like, but you want to do more things. Well, I can't really, I've got, I've got to work. So the cosmos said to my bosses, this guy's here too long. Give him the boot. (laughs) it seems like it's worked out I know it wasn't the greatest circumstance but you are where you are and it seems like you're going in a great direction amen to that amen yeah well awesome thank you so much for talking with me today and it'll take me a while to edit this because my computer is kind of broken I need to get a new one but um send me all of your links and I will add them to the episode can do thank you